Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Hello once again, everybody, and thank you for joining me here on this Monday, February 1st edition of ATS Radio. I'm your host, Adam Burke. I'll be joined today by professional better and handicapper Kyle Hunter from huntersportspicks.com. We'll touch on Super Bowl 55. I've got two prop bets. He's got three prop bets, so we'll go over those on today's show. Then we'll talk a lot of college basketball to finish out the program as we start off a new month here on ATS Radio. Over at ATS.io, lots of coverage of Super Bowl 55, coverage ongoing for the NHL, college basketball, and the NBA. My updated situational betting tips article for the NBA is posted over there and also for the NHL, taking a look at the schedule, some interesting spots, some general overall points that you can use as the starting point, the basis of a handicap. Make sure that you do your due diligence from there. So you check that out over at the website, Waste Management Phoenix Open preview coming this afternoon as well. There's a UFC event on Saturday, so I'll talk about that later on in the week. And of course, I'll post a lot of prop stuff for you over at ATS.io as the week goes along. Make sure you download the ATS app, which you can find in the Google Play Store or in the Apple Store. It's a bet tracker. It's an odd screen, full article integration from the website. There's a stats database in there that you can use for handicapping the games. And if you want, you can subscribe to the premium model over there, $9.99 a week, $19.99 a month to get those picks sent over to you right there in that ATS app. So a very powerful tool, a helpful handicapping resource for you. Download that today for your Android or iOS devices. With that, we bring on today's guest. That is professional better and handicapper Kyle Hunter from huntersportspicks.com. And Kyle, how's it going today, man? Going pretty well. How about yourself, Adam? Doing very well, buddy. I know uh, both of us with some of that annoying white stuff out there on the ground here today. Yeah, I've got to gotta do some snow blowing here after the show. And then I'm also going to, I promised I'd go sledding with the kids today, which I, I kind of like that. I'm a kid at heart still. So uh, looking forward to that. But yeah, it's about six and a half inches of snow here. And, and uh, I like snow to some degree, but I don't like the cold that comes along with it. So I know that's a little complicated, but uh, I don't think you're too big of a fan of snow, right? No, not anymore. <laughs> I uh, Every day my wife and I are looking at properties in, in Hawaii. On <laughs> Just like get us the hell away from here. Right. And bitter cold coming next week for us, of course. Yeah. You know, I, I used to love sledding as a kid. But now that I got to drag my fat ass back up the hill, <laughs> that's the problem that I have with it. Yeah, that is the, the, the fun parts going down. The coming back up isn't quite as fun. But uh, now that my kids aren't old enough for it to be too big of a hill yet. So uh, we'll see. We'll have some fun. All right. Well, we'll have some fun on today's show here as well. And it's finally Super Bowl week, which is nice. I mean, the, the two weeks leading up to this game, it's just it's overkill. You know, every angle, every matchup is talked about to death. But, you know, at least we have a lot of ways to apply that with all the different prop offerings that are out there. And we will talk about those in a couple of minutes' time here. But, Kyle, before we do that, side and total really haven't moved much. If there was a three and a half, it's pretty much gone. Three minus 120, three minus 15. 
on the Kansas City side. Total sitting there 56 or 56 and a half. Really, it's the more publicly tuned global shops that are protecting against a lot of over money that are 56 and a half. Most of the market sitting 56 on the total here. Yeah, I mean, this is pretty much what we said last week. Even the money line price about the same. My thoughts are about the same as they were last week. I lean KC. I lean the over. I won't bet much on this uh, side or total. Uh, you know, this is a really sharp line. Neither one of us are surprised that the odds makers got it right here for the Super Bowl. And uh, I think that's just kind of my my main takeaway here is that uh, there is no big play to be had on the, on the side or total in this game. I'm actually looking forward more to talking about the, the props that we're about to talk about. But as far as the game, you know, um, I think the Chiefs probably win this game. Um, the Chiefs offensive line does concern me some. You know, Tampa Bay should be able to get some pressure. Uh, at the same time, Mahomes is good against pressure. So uh, Kansas City is my lean in this game and the over. I don't know if I can get that 55 and a half that I've been waiting on for an over, but uh, I, I think this line's probably going to pretty much stay what it is. And And you have to assume probably when it gets really close to game time, the total might go up. Yeah, I'll be curious to see. I mean, as we look at the long-range look-ahead forecast, sustained winds in the 10 to 12-mile-per-hour range gusts up into the low 20s. So we could have some gusty winds here for this game. Again, we'll see what the weather forecast looks like as we get closer. Maybe that's something that does drag the total into that 55-and-a-half range that you're talking about. But then at that point, you got to decide, do I want to go up right. against the wind to you know play an over in that situation? Again, obviously, there's a lot of moving parts here. Chance of rain overnight, Saturday night into Sunday. If that gets pushed back, maybe some showers during the game, all that kind of thing. Lots of questions. And and furthermore, too, you know, I think we kind of touched on this in passing last week. But, you know, look, there were some people that jumped out there and grabbed under 57, kind of grabbed, you know, Buccaneers plus three and a half, minus 110, minus 115, something like that. Otherwise, as you just mentioned, we haven't seen a lot of movement here and, you know, again, I mean, these players are getting tested twice a day for COVID. You certainly hope that, you know, over the, the relative downtime that, you know, nobody put themselves or their teams at risk. We still have a few more practice days hoping that nobody gets hurt with a freak injury or something like that. You know, like what we saw with David Bakhtiari for Green Bay, uh, you know, what, prior to week 17. These are still things that can happen. COVID still something that can happen. So it's really not a big surprise that we're just playing a waiting game pretty much on everything with this one. Right. And I mean, the, what kind of incentive do you have to bet the game now versus, you know, Friday or Saturday based on all those things that you said? I mean, I don't see any, you know, there, there's really no reason to be rushing to bet this game at this point because, you know, um, it's unlikely that the line moves much unless there is some kind of big news. And if, if there is some kind of big news, you probably want to be paying attention to, you know, Twitter and, and uh, everything that's going on. But I mean, there's nothing that's under the radar about the Super Bowl. You know, everybody's going to know it right away. So I, I would say that, you know, I don't see any reason to bet this game immediately. And I think that you can wait this one out. And I, I, again, think that, you know, there should not be a huge wager here. And I, I think it's important to say that anybody who, who thinks they have some grand angle or edge that's just, you know, something nobody else knows is just, uh, I mean, they're kind of just kidding themselves here. Yeah, I mean, look, this is one where I look at the matchup and I think Kansas City wins, and I think Kansas City wins comfortably, but I also think this line is correct. I mean, this is the line that we saw in Week 12 where you know Kansas City was the better team in that game, basically took the second half of the game off, 
after scoring a touchdown to go up 27-10. And, you know, I mean, maybe I'm overreacting too much to one data point, but I just think the Chiefs do match up well here. I do think Todd Bowles will make some adjustments, and we'll talk about that in a minute with the props. But DraftKings Sportsbook's been sending out a daily update on what's been happening with the handle and the ticket counts for the game, not just the Super Bowl, but also for the NBA, college basketball, all of that, if you're on the mailing list. So far here over at DraftKings, I just want to get your thoughts on this. 78% of the money on Kansas City minus three, 72% of the tickets on Kansas City minus three, 76% of the money on the over, not surprising there, 75% of the tickets on the over. Then as far as the money line goes, 56% of the tickets on Tampa Bay, of course, the plus money line, but the handle pretty much split down the middle 50-50 on the money line. That's really the part that's most interesting to me because we talked about this last week on the show at various junctures that a lot of people go into the Super Bowl and they're just going to bet the underdog on the money line. Just saying, you know what? I'm not going to take the points. I'm just going to take the plus money, the plus 143, plus 145 in this case. And then you usually get a depressed favorite money line that's a little bit shorter of a price than it should be. Right now, minus 162 over at DraftKings is a little bit low. I do think there's a little bit of value relative to the spread uh, with that minus 162 money line. But that'll be something that merits watching as the week goes along as well. Yeah, I'm a little bit surprised that, you know, that hasn't gone down more of it based on the splits that you said. I guess it makes sense. Uh, I still think, if anything, the money line probably goes down a little bit because there's still going to be quite a few people bet this game public-wise that haven't bet it yet. And I would think that, you know, you might be able to get a minus 160 or slightly lower on the money line if you if you like the Chiefs. If you like Tampa Bay, uh, I don't know that you do better than what you've got right now. As far as the spread, I mean, it's hard to imagine it going off of three. You know, I feel like the the juice three is probably here to stay. Uh, the total probably is going to be about where it is right now. And then maybe it goes up right before kickoff as the public bets the over, unless like you said, weather becomes an issue and then the sharp money will take it down. So I feel like we are going to continue to stay in this holding pattern. Well, and as we transition over to the prop side of things here, neither one of us with any thoughts as of now on the MVP, it's a very tough market to bet because I mean, look, when you look at Super Bowl MVPs in the past, it's very rare that a quarterback doesn't win, you know? So that's something you got to consider here. And, and Patrick Mahomes, at least according to these DraftKings numbers here so far, 52% of the handle to be the MVP, 40% of the bets. Tom Brady, obviously the second choice in the plus 200, plus 210 range, 29% of the handle, 30% of the bets. It's, it's very hard to do something other than look at a quarterback here because you've got a lot of people that think this is a high scoring game and Yeah, maybe Travis Kelsey goes off. Maybe Tyreek Hill goes off. Maybe Mike Evans goes off. But when a wide receiver goes off, it's because somebody's throwing the football to them. So is is the MVP market anything that you're thinking about diving into or not really? Um, Well, let me ask you this real quick. Do you think a defensive player has any chance? Uh, Like Like a Von Miller situation? I mean, I guess it's possible simply in the sense that Brady's had some interception issues here of late. So if if the same guy winds up doing it, you know, running back a pick six, something like that. I mean, you know, we saw Von Miller, we saw Malcolm Smith really otherwise. I mean, what it was Super Bowl 32, I think was the last time that we had a running back win it. That was Terrell Davis. 
you know, Julian Edelman wins it in Super Bowl 53 because that game was awful, you know, and, and really Santonio Holmes in Super Bowl 43, another wide receiver that got it. it it's either quarterback or a defensive player, I, I feel like. Yeah, I, I think if I was taking a, a stab at a long shot, I would probably take a defensive player, uh, maybe Devin White. Uh, you know, I mean, he he has potential for a big game, certainly. Um, you know, I guess you could make an argument for like Matthew, uh, Tyron Matthew. Um, I, I don't know. I, I don't think I'm going to bet the MVP market. I, I think it's hard because, you know, like you said, it it would be hard to imagine one of the quarterbacks not winning it. Uh, I see some books uh, with Tom Brady or Patrick Mahomes to win it, and it's minus 400. So um, that's uh, that just tells you all, all you need to know. It's hard to bet the MVP market. Well, and something that we talked about, I'm pretty sure it was with regards to last, maybe two, maybe the game two years ago, something like that. But, you know, sometimes you run into a situation where the favorite is, you know, minus 200 or something like that, spreads in the four and a half, five range, whatever. But then you can get the quarterback around even money. And and generally speaking, you know, if you think the Chiefs are going to win, there's an exceptionally high chance that Patrick Mahomes wins the MVP in the process. So there are years where betting, you know, the chalk, so to speak, for the MVP market is a cheaper way of betting the favorite to win the game. Just again, based on what we've seen about how often the winning quarterback wins it and all of that. In this instance, though, because you've got the Chiefs in that 160, 165 range, you could just lay the three if you want to. I don't think it's as good of an idea as it has been in past Super Bowls to take Mahomes to win the MVP as an extension or as a, you know, a, a fill-in, I guess I'll say, for taking the Chiefs' money line. I, I just I don't think that that's as great of a look here, uh, you know, as it has been in some of the past Super Bowls. Yeah, I don't think you're getting as much value as you have in a lot of the other Super Bowls because I think everybody knows the odds of the the quarterbacks here. I mean, they're they're two of the biggest names as far as quarterbacks. You know, Brady. It's kind of hard to argue that Brady isn't the goat of quarterbacks at this point. And Mahomes, I mean, he is probably the best quarterback in the NFL right now. So, I mean, it's I, in this case, it seems like it's pretty hard to do that. I don't, I don't see enough value there. All right, so let's get to some of the props that we do see some value in here. And, uh, you know, I'll be giving out probably two or three on every show that I do this week, putting together a prop catalog. And like I said, you'll be able to read my thoughts on the game on the team props, and then, of course, take a look at some of the novelty props and stuff as well over at ATS.io as we go throughout the week here. But we'll go ahead and start with you. With the first prop that you have, you're looking at a Tampa Bay running back here in this one. Yeah, I like Ronald Jones over 34 and a half rushing yards. I bet this one myself already. I like this one a pretty good amount. You know, um, he's averaging 5.1 yards per carry on the year. I know he's been banged up. He's had some time to get healthier here with the longer break. You know, this is a weak rushing defense for the Chiefs. And and if Tampa Bay, I think if Tampa Bay is wise, they'd want to run the football quite a bit here. I don't think they want to end up with Brady throwing the ball 45 times in this game. If they do, it's likely because they've been playing from behind. But uh, Ronald Jones over 34 and a half rushing yards, Look, I think he's the better of their running backs. I know he's been banged up, and that's why Fournette has gotten more action here of late. But even when he's been banged up, Jones has gotten a decent amount of carries. If you think he's going to get 10 10 carries or so, I think that's a fair number. 
I mean, he has to average three and a half yards per carry. Um, I see some books have it as high as 36 and a half or 37 and a half. I do like that as well. Certainly uh, shop around for those. As we always say, the props market, it's the best time to shop around, certainly. But I think this is a good one. I mean, you know, he's had time to get healthier. He's against a weak rushing defense. And if you're going to beat Kansas City, um, their rushing defense is weak and you want to keep Mahomes off the field. I think Tampa Bay would be wise to try to run the football here. Yeah, I like this one too. And and to a degree, I kind of like it for an opposite reason that I don't think Byron Leftwich is a very good offensive coordinator. <laughs> and I certainly don't like his play calling. And look, I mean, it was talked about a lot on social media in that NFC championship game where they just kept running the football on yeah. first down, especially early in that game. So to me, you know, I don't know if the holes are there for Jones to, you know, rip off some decent chunk plays or something like that. But I think there's a good chance that the volume will be there, even if it's just, you know, three yards on first down, something like that. I do feel like because Leftwich doesn't seem to be that imaginative as an offensive coordinator, they will try to force feed the run. They will try to establish the run, as everybody talks about. And so with that in mind, I do think Jones certainly has enough of a workload to get over that number. And of course, too, if Tampa Bay is winning this game in the second half, then you know, they probably will wind up using him a fair amount. I also have a running back prop here as well, but this one's for Kansas City. And I'm looking at Darrell Williams, over 45 and a half rushing and receiving yards. When I wrote up the notes on this, I saw it at minus 105 at BetMGM. Well, this is a guy that had 17 touches against the Browns in the divisional round game. He only had 14 touches against the Bills, but he was also only out there for 30 offensive snaps. So when he was on the field, He got the ball almost half the time. I think he gets the ball when he's in there. I do think Clyde Edwards-Hilaire off of the two-week break is going to be more of a factor of the offense here. But one of the things I also saw is that I'm seeing some very smart people look at this game and say, Todd Bowles is going to make a big adjustment. He's going to try to pressure Patrick Mahomes a lot more than he did in the first game. If that's the case, and we see this all the time in the Super Bowl, the running back becomes a great dump-off option. So I think Williams does have the chance to get some work both in the running game and in the receiving game here. And also, too, if the Chiefs lead this game late, I would think that Eric Bieniemy and Andy Reid will have more trust in Williams than a guy in Edwards Hilaire who was hurt at the tail end of the year. So I think Williams would be the feature back getting a handful of carries in the fourth quarter here if the Chiefs are ahead, and that is what I expect. So Darrell Williams over, I don't know if it's Darrell or Darrell, but Williams over 45 and a half rushing and receiving yards is one that I do like here quite a bit. Okay, so um, having said that, uh, rush attempts for him in the game, I see it over under seven and a half. I assume you probably like over there, right? Yeah, because I also like the Chiefs to win the game. So, yeah, yeah. I'd say so. Yeah, and, and actually you can get uh, Ronald Jones rushing attempts at over eight and a half, which I think is a good bet as well. So, um, uh, you know, just kind of side notes to what we had there before. I'll go ahead and give another one here. Um, I'm going to go with Cam Brate under 27 and a half receiving yards. This is a guy that uh, the Bucks, uh need in the red zone. They don't need him for the deep passes in the middle of the field. Look, they have tons of options when, when they're in the middle of the field. He is not one of the guys that they would want to look for on deep passes unless, you know, there's just broken coverage or something like that. When you have 
guys like Evans, Godwin, Brown, you know, on and on. They have a list of tremendous receivers. I don't think Cam Braid's going to be targeted a lot in this game. And if he is, it's more likely to be short yardage. Um, so I think Cam Braid under 27 and a half receiving yards makes quite a bit of sense. Yeah, and you look at this one, and I know Tampa Bay was playing from in front for, you know, a pretty good portion of the NFC Championship game, but Brayton was only out there for 23 snaps, only 35% of the offensive snaps for Tampa Bay. And I think that's really important. If you're looking at these player props, you absolutely want to see how often these guys are actually out there on the field. You know, like I said, Williams isn't out there a lot, but when he is, he seems to be the focal point of the play. For a guy like Brayton, as you said, you know, that's a guy that's not out there a whole lot. He's a good red zone opportunity. Maybe you find an anytime touchdown score prop and a really, you know, uh, really attractive number or something like that. But this will be a situation where Tampa Bay does go three or four wide, maybe Gronk's out there on the field, something like that. Like you said, they don't really use Brait a whole lot in their traditional offensive packages. And that's important because I don't think any of these teams want to try and reinvent the wheel in this game. You know, they're not going to all of a sudden have Braid out there on 65% of their offensive snaps. It's just not going to be a thing if they haven't done it all year. He's clearly not in a lot of their play packages. So if you're looking at the player props, yeah, you want to know who's covering who and all of that, but you really want to know how often these guys are going to be on the field and how many opportunities will they actually have. Yeah, I agree. You know, how, how often are they on the field? How many targets do they usually get? Because, you know, e- even if it looks like a good matchup, if they're not going to be out there, you know, how can they really take advantage of it? And and to be fair, I don't know that the best way to beat Kansas City's defense is to throw to, the, to uh, a guy like Cam Brait in the middle of the field very often. You know, I think the, the uh, Chiefs defense is actually pretty good against the pass. Uh, their weakness is against the run. And as we said, you know, you just said correctly a few minutes ago, Leftwich has kind of shown that he'll run on first down and second down quite a bit. And then the, the Bucks got in these long uh, third and longs against Green Bay and they were able to get it. But, you know, you really don't want to have third and eight or third and nine every time. They got away with it last game. I don't, I don't know if they'll get away with it this time. So the second one that I have here, and like I said, I'll, I'll be giving some, <laughs> excuse me, I'll be giving some out throughout the week here on the show Levante David over seven and a half tackles for the Buccaneers here. And in fact, I saw this yesterday at plus plus-one ten over at points bet. So over seven and a half tackles for Levante David. No, Devin White's getting all the attention here and, and deservedly. So, I mean, he led the team in tackles. He was second in sacks, but as I mentioned with regards to that Williams prop, I'm seeing some people that I respect out there in the marketplace saying, look, Tampa Bay sat back in the first game and Mahomes absolutely shredded them and picked them apart. In the second game, maybe Bowles does get more aggressive. And this was a very aggressive defense throughout the course of the season. They blitzed a lot. They got a lot of pressure. Well, Devin White had nine sacks. Levante David had one and a half. And he was second on the team in tackles with 117. So as I'm starting to think through what these coordinators are going to do, if Bowles blitzes more, I would expect Devin White to be the guy that's going after Patrick Mahomes. If that's the case, that means White will be rushing the quarterback and David will stay at home, maybe spy, maybe get the Travis Kelsey assignment that nobody wants, something like that. I just think Levante David is the guy who plays a part in a lot of these tackles, you know, upfield a little bit, where maybe White is the guy that kind of goes and rushes the passer. So 
Over seven and a half for Levante David. Saw that at plus 110. And again, we're talking about White's tackles at what, 10 and a half or 11 out there? I think David could be very busy in this game defensively for Tampa Bay. Yeah, I like this one. I think that, um, you know, the the game, how the game plays out, you know, the script of the game, it makes sense that he could be in quite a bit of a lot of, a lot of action here in this one. And, you know, he's actually been playing pretty well here in their last few games anyway. So he's been a big part of a lot of their action here. And uh, it seems to me like, you know, it makes sense that he would be in this one as well. All right, so you got one more prop to talk about here, and, and I love these. And again, I love all the different options that are out there, but I, I think this one's a really sharp look by you. So um, under 10.5 penalties in the game, uh, the Bucks have only had 12 penalties in their three playoff games. The Chiefs had three penalties on them last week. And I, I have to give some credit here. I want to give a shout-out. Uh, Steven Nover, um, another handicapper who's a, a great – handicapper um, has been in the business for a long time has done a great job he he sent this one over to me that he thought this was good play so I want to give give credit to him for this because uh, he sent this over to me and said you know look at the penalties what's what's been going on here in the last few games and you know if you think back to the last couple weeks they have definitely been swallowing the whistle a bit here in these games you know there have not been near as many flags um, you know I guess swallowing the whistle wouldn't be the right way to say I'm, I'm already thinking uh, college football or college basketball wise, but you know, there haven't been as many uh, flags thrown. And to me, uh, the bucks have not been a highly penalized team throughout the course of the season. The chiefs were, but the chiefs only had three on them last week. You're getting under 10 and a half. Some of them are under 10. And I think this one is getting bet down. It looks like to me based on the juice on these. So um, this might be one that you want to get earlier rather than later. Um, usually the unders you want to play late, but I think some people are onto this too, that the, the penalties uh, it's being called differently. You know, there weren't many holding calls last week. Uh, when we know that, you know, they can call holding just about as much as they want to. And if they're letting things go in that Bucks and Packers game, we saw a lot of uh, possible pass interference or holding calls on the defense that were not called. And I don't know why we would just see a bunch more flags in this one when the clear trend has been toward lower. So I do like this one a good amount. Yeah, I like this one too. One I was kind of looking at on the flip side, you know, is there a rushing or roughing the passer call in the game? Yeah. And, and that was one where I kind of like the yes a little bit. The, the line escapes me right now. Maybe it's one I'll have later on in the week. But really outside of like roughing the passer, I mean, you don't see a lot of offensive holding here. Uh, you know, you probably don't see a whole lot of an eligible man downfield from either one of these two teams just because of the way that they run their offenses, stuff like that. You don't get a lot of mistakes from good football teams. I mean, what separates good football teams and bad football teams for the most part is a lot of mistakes. And, you know, you did mention that Kansas City did get called for, you know, a fair amount of penalties here during the regular season. Maybe they're just kind of the exception, but I wouldn't expect a flag fest here in this one. Nobody wants to watch that. You know, this is a man, this is a massive showcase game for the NFL. And especially this is the culmination of getting through this weird COVID season. They're not going to let it be watered down or take anything away from the game with a lot of flags. So I, I like this one. I think under 10 and a half is a good look. Uh, and, and, you know, New England just in general didn't get called for a lot of penalties during the Tom Brady years when he was there. I don't know if it's just kind of some, you know, inherent bias just because it's Tom Brady or something like that. But we, we generally haven't seen Brady led teams get called for too many flags in the Super Bowl. And that could very well be the case here again. 
Yeah, I think I think so. And uh, um, I, this prop market is pretty fun. I, you know, as we're talking, I'm just kind of scrolling through these special props, seeing some of the funny ones. I really haven't handicapped these yet, but uh, I assume you'll get to talk about some of these special ones here coming up through the rest of the week. And maybe I'll I'll get to tweet out something. But, you know, these are always fun when you see something like, you know, uh, will Tom Brady high five an official, you know, things like that. You know, it's, it's, uh, quite a bit of fun here this time of the year to look at these props. Yeah, it is. Uh, I look, I'm, I'm a guy who listens to a lot of pretty obscure country, you know, kind of a lot of outlaw country or a lot of stuff, you know, from the nineties and two thousands, whether it's alt rock or country or something like that. I don't think I've ever heard a song by the weekend. I, I don't so think I, I have either. I will not be doing much with the halftime show. Just throw no. it um, me either. I, I I don't even know who the hell they are. Is it a they? Is it multiple people? I assume so. I mean, somebody's going to have to... I mean, there's got to be somebody out there that's a big fan of them, but it's not either one of us. I'd be more interested in Miley during the uh, during the pregame show. Right, right. I, I gotta say, like, that's kind of one of my guilty pleasures. Like, I don't listen to a lot of pop music, but I think she's ridiculously talented. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I don't know that... Yeah, you know, she's not like my favorite singer or anything, but she's very talented, certainly. All right, so we'll uh, we'll move on to college basketball here before everything gets off the rails. Trying to <laughs> talk about how you and I don't pay attention to pop culture things. All right, so for college basketball, uh, you know, we're gonna start with injury notes, but I do want to mention, you know, this has been getting a lot of run here on Twitter early in the day, and I I don't know if there's been uh, you know a decision made. But Boston College, it looks like they have four scholarship players for tomorrow's scheduled game against Florida State. Otherwise, they're playing a bunch of walk-ons and, like, practice team guys and stuff like that. Usually, it seems like we find out that information the day of the game, but we found this one out the day before the game, and maybe enough pressure will come in to force Boston College to cancel this because apparently it's the Eagles that want to play, not necessarily the conference or Florida State pushing for it, but – you know, I, I hope that we're kind of on the backside of, of the curve in that respect of games being affected by COVID, but it's it's still very much a thing. So it, uh, I hadn't seen that news, but that is a COVID-related uh, situation, I assume? Yes. Okay, so I would assume that they won't play that game would be my guess, but, you know, um, it's kind of hard to to expect that they would play that kind of game, but... I do think that there might be a bit less cancellations right now. Things have gotten slightly better on that aspect. So I think there might be a little bit less. Now there can be some big weather situations like there are right now, you know, even in the Northeast. So we might see some cancellations for things other than that as well. So um, I think we'll see some, some cancellations still from COVID. Uh, We've said this before. Uh, I don't want to get out on a tangent or anything, but it, it seems like, you know, there are very different rules from one place to another. I wish it was um, across the board the same, but it's weird to see, you know, in some schools, it's like the team manager had a positive COVID test. So they're shut down for a couple of weeks. And in others, you know, they have four or five guys out um, because of COVID and they're still playing. So it's, it's kind of hard to know exactly who has what policy sometimes, but we we've seen some teams really be in really bad spots based on, you know, COVID uh, people missing. And uh, that kind of leads me right into the first one I was going to say was Eastern Illinois. Eastern Illinois has gotten their ass kicked in two straight games. They haven't had a bunch of their key players. They had eight available players. 
And some of those guys were walk-ons for both of these last couple games, and they have just been beaten up badly. So I want to check the status for those players in the next game because if those guys are going to be out again, the line's going to be pretty big, but you want to go against Eastern Illinois still because, you know, they have shown to be in really bad shape in those games. And a team that I almost listed, you know, as sort of a follow team was Rice. Rice was missing, I think, three of their key players uh, last week and not this past weekend, but the weekend prior against UAB. And, you know, that's just sort of the thing that we're kind of dealing with right now is that, you know, some teams are playing through it, some teams aren't. And it's a very challenging thing to kind of figure out, you know, what's going to happen with some of these teams, how they're going to come back from it. Yeah, look, I think Iona is coming off of like a, what, six or seven week COVID pause this week? Yeah, the, Iona's been in the COVID pause stage quite a few times this year. So it seems like those, you know, the Northeast schools have been more cautious about it. And um, some of the other schools in the South or the Midwest have not been quite as, and I'm not saying what I think is right or wrong. I'm just saying, I wish that everybody had the the same policy across the board. It would be easier to say, you know, okay, here's how we should handicap this. If we knew what the policy was across the board. So um, Eastern Illinois, a team that is in a lot of trouble as far as that, let me, let me go right into the second team. I was going to say that Miami is extremely shorthanded right now. Now Miami plays here tonight on Monday night, we've seen the line go hard against them in favor of Duke. So it's getting to be fairly widely known that Miami's in a lot of trouble. I mean, likes is still out. Timberlake's been out. Isaiah Wong had an ankle injury. Um, This is a team that uh, cross quit the team or got kicked off the team, depending on who you read the source from. But Miami is in a lot of trouble right now and Duke has not played well at all this year. And now they're laying 11 or 11 and a half on the road. So it just shows you what the market thinks of Miami at this point. Yeah. It's, it's just, you know, again, one of those things where there's so much stuff going on that some of it gets factored into the line. Some of it doesn't, some of it comes out late, really close to the game, you know, but then you've got to sit there and scramble to try and find out who's coming back. You know, and, and some of the beat writers, you know, some of them are very good. Some of them, you know, kind of come up a little bit short, but it's just such a challenging environment right now in college basketball. The plus side is if you are able to keep up on the news and, you know, be somebody who's kind of out in front of some of these things, I'm sure there's been some good value in doing it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a reason to pay close attention, certainly, and it's hard to uh keep track of all these because there are so many teams as we've said so this is another argument for specializing in a certain conference because every conference has somebody that's having some issues like this so uh you know if you want to follow one or two conferences or two or three conferences really closely you probably have a better chance of finding out this information sooner than you would if you tried to keep track of everything i apologize i'm having internet issues over here trying to make sure connections are still strong and all that um they installed a line across the street last week and ever since then you know it's kind of been messed up a little bit so i apologize if things kind of cutting out a little bit here uh seems like things have stabilized for a minute uh speaking of things stabilizing here it looks like washington state you know they wound up having a, a little bit of a positive development over the weekend yeah bonton is back for them isaac bonton and and to be honest you know, Washington State's a team that I'd rather bet on than against to start with, because I think that um, Kyle Smith is a good coach. And in the Pac-12, uh, good coaches are not all over the place. And uh, the Pac-12 is a really, really weak conference, certainly. And Washington State just won on the road in Bonton's first game back, 77-62. to 62. 
and really he was the best player in that game. Um, you know, if you look at the line, he had 25 points, seven rebounds, four assists and a couple steals. So he played a huge role in that first game back. And I honestly think that Washington state could be a good buy low team. So kind of a, a bonus, uh, team that I want to follow here in Washington state come, uh, coming into the next maybe two or three weeks, I'd say a short-term good follow team. So we cite a lot of different resources here on the show. Bart Torvik being a very popular one for both of us. Obviously everybody knows Ken Palm. If you bet college basketball, the problem is every odds maker out there also knows Ken Palm. So you're not really finding a whole lot of edges there with that. But one that I've begin, begun to use a lot more frequently and hopefully our listeners have as well Haslam Metrics, Eric Haslam, H-A-S-L-A-M-E-T-R-I-C, Haslam Metrics. Uh, You're looking at the away from home rating, which explain this a little bit more. So you can go to, at Haslam Metrics, you go to the fingerprint section uh, from the homepage, and it shows you away from home rating. And what this is, it's a measure of the team's performance on the road and on neutral courts versus their performances at home. So it's a gauge of what this team's going to play like if they're not at home, which we've talked about this a lot before when it comes to March Madness. I think this is going to have to be something that we circle back to when it comes to NCAA tournament time, because this matters a lot. Then you're not playing on your home court. You're playing on a neutral court. Obviously this year is going to be different than a normal year, but still not going to be playing on their home court. Um, You know, it's, it's interesting to see who is able to play really well when they're not at home versus the teams who are tremendous at home and just have these massive splits and how they play. Um, so some of the worst so far this year, as far as away from home rating, Minnesota, Akron, uh, I will say the big 10 shows up a lot as far as some of the worst away from home uh, year after year, even in a COVID year, home teams do really well in the big 10 at home. So, uh, you know, it's, it's tough to bet against a home team in the big 10, but Minnesota, I don't think this is a big surprise because they've had that really wide divergence in how they play for several years now they're very good at the barn they're not very good anywhere else and I I think that will probably continue to be the case Akron I guess it's a bit of a surprise to me that Akron would show up here because uh, you know they're a good defensive team and usually defense travels pretty well but they've they've had pretty drastic splits as far as their shooting percentages so far this year to where they have not been good away from home. So what are some of the teams that have been the best out there on the road or in neutral settings? So Bowling Green from, from the Mac, it's, I would say it's more that Bowling Green has played really poorly at home uh, so that, you know, it gives them an easier uh, competition there, you know, to go against how they've played at home. And you don't have to be too great on the road if you haven't been any good at home. The other one, which is actually number one is Boston university. And I don't know if you know this or not, but, they're the team that's had the masks in the home games. Do they have to wear masks only at home? Do you know? I, I believe they have to wear them both home and okay. Home. Okay. Cause I was wondering if, if they didn't have to wear them on the road, that could have been one of the reasons why, but uh, they haven't played too many games yet. So I think it's fair to say the sample size isn't really that big for Boston university, but they've been number one as far as the best away from home team so far this year. It's definitely an interesting thing to take a look at. And, and as you said, you know, with we know conference tournaments are in one spot. We know that the NCAA tournament is going to be in that Indianapolis bubble. So, yeah, teams that don't play well away from home. And, and especially, you know, with 
limited or no fans in a lot of these venues, you know, it can make, it can make just shooting so much different, you know, even going from you know, big stadiums to just smaller gymnasiums doesn't really matter. It's just such a strange dynamic right now, strange environment overall with this season. And that's definitely something that we can cycle back to uh, as we get closer to conference tournament time here, which what I believe all the conference tournaments start first week of March. I think so. Yeah. Cause they, because March madness is, we can talk about that as we get closer, but you know, they took away Thursday from us yeah. for, for the first round, which is a bummer. I don't know if the, are the playing games on Thursday or something like that. I don't know, to be honest, you know, I've, I haven't paid too much attention to what's going on then. I just hope that let's just say this. I hope that there's basketball being played then. Unlike there was last year. That was a real disappointing. I remember we did those conference tournament shows and then everything just shut down. So hopefully we at least get to watch the games then. Yeah, no, absolutely. It was around the time I was doing the MLB guide, which was all for naught as right. well. So hopefully uh, things do go differently here in a lot of different ways for 2021. Let's start with some regression teams here. We'll start with a negative regression team that I isolated, the Texas State Bobcats. So far this year, according to Bart Torvik, they've taken 287 far two point shot attempts and 254 close two attempts. To me, it looks like an unsustainable offensive profile because they're shooting 50.5% from two in conference play, and they're not really getting the same number of looks at the rim that they're settling for in the mid-range game. They're also shooting 42.4% from three in Sunbelt play. Defensively, they have the third lowest mid-range percentage against. They're going to be in a favorite role here in some upcoming games, and I just I wouldn't look to lay big numbers with the Bobcats. I just I defensive regression is coming and their shot selection should lead to offensive regression as well. Yeah, you know, Texas State's a team that I have followed pretty closely um, in past years as well as this year. They obviously have a different coach than they've had in the past when uh, Casper was let go here before the season. Texas State isn't as good as they were the last couple seasons. But they're still an above average Sunbelt team. I will say, full disclosure, I had the under in their game on Saturday. Um, 74-73 game played to 60 possessions. So both teams shot lights out between Louisiana and Texas State. Um, You know, Texas State has definitely shot better than I would expect by quite a bit. The other thing about them is they're using 20.2 seconds on an average possession in Sunbelt play. So, I would lean going against them as well. I would also lean to the under thinking that their shooting would get worse, but they still do have a better defense than most teams in the Sun Belt. So I think the under could have some value in their games as well. All right. So what are you looking at here as a negative regression candidate? So um, I want to look at Campbell on offense. There's 73 camels. Yeah. The fighting camels. Uh, One of the better uh, one of the better team names, certainly. And I like their court too. It's, it's solid. Uh, 73.2% on close two so far this year, according to Bart Torvik. Um, this is a team that is not very tall. You know, I don't know why they would be so good, um, you know, from two point range because Campbell is thought of as a team that has shooters. Obviously they don't have Clemens like that a couple years ago, but Campbell's a good offense but they're 21st in effective field goal percentage offense on Ken Palm right now. I think they're a good offense, but they're due to regress some. So I think that Campbell's offense will go backwards some. Their defense is not great. So maybe they're a bit of a play against team, at least when they're a favorite. I think that's a good one. And and also too, I mean, this is a team that 
they're terrible on the offensive glass. You know, usually you get teams that are pretty good on the offensive glass and then subsequently pretty good on two point shots because, you know, they get those easy putbacks, but I don't know, maybe it's just a sample size thing because they're not missing a whole lot of shots. Uh, But, you know, they don't really fit the mold, as you said, of a team that could continue that. Here's one. I don't know if you're going to like this one because I know they're really bad on offense, but the St. Peter's Peacocks, they're shooting 48.8% on close twos here, according to Bart Torbeck. Last year, it's a team that started 6-10 and 10 overall, but then went 12-2 and two to finish the year. They're a good defensive team. They're starting to shoot it a little bit better from three now in MAAC play, and they play some awful teams going forward. A lot of teams at the bottom of that conference. I think the St. Peter's Peacocks are going to cover some numbers for us here going forward. I like it. So um, I'm, I think I'm going to disagree with one of your takes again today. I feel like I should have one disagreement at least every show, right? <laughs> but, um, you know, this is not it. So St. Peter's is a team that I think is a good back because they also are really good defensively. Look at their block percentage. I mean, they're blocking over 16% of shots being put up. And this is not a small sample size, 15 games. So uh, St. Peter's is excellent on defense. Uh, they have those uh, tall guys inside, very athletic players. Uh, they also play in a conference, the MAAC, where there's not a lot of height. So, um, you know, I think St. Peter is going to be probably the best defense in that conference uh, by the end of the season. And offensively, they're not very good, but they don't have to be that good offensively to be covering numbers here in the MAAC. They had a game against Siena back on January 23rd. They were 9 for 39 on two-point shots. They were (laughs) 0 for 15 in the mid-range and 9 for 24 at the rim. So maybe it's that one game, really, that one really significant data point that kind of throws everything off. But Ryder's not any good. They play them twice. Uh, It looks like they played Marist, Quinnipiac, Fairfield. None of those teams are any good. So St. Peter's, you know, as a good defensive team, if they're not laying numbers that are that big – you know, when you're that good on defense, it's not like you've got to put up a ton of points to cover. So I like the Peacocks here going forward. Yeah, and they already played the team that's probably the best team in that conference, being Siena. And that, that game was the 47-40 to 40 game that you were mentioning. And I believe they scored like two points in the last 11 minutes of that game. So um, maybe that game gives us some value going forward because – Hopefully some people think about that game and uh, gives us some value, but it's probably too far under the radar for that to matter too much. Same time, St. Peter's, you know, I think their defense will, will give a lot of people trouble. They won't be laying huge numbers here either. All right. So what are you looking at as a positive aggression candidate? So New Mexico state, offense they're 22.4 percent from three-point range so far this year their effective field goal percentage is 38.6 percent this team's dealt with a lot of COVID issues they were picked as the top team in the whack by far like it wasn't even a question this offense is going to get a lot better I think probably could be a good buy low candidate here so uh, again another follow candidate that uh, I think New Mexico State, I'm hoping people get really low on them based on what they've done here in the last couple games because I think they'll end up being a really good team again. They're not playing their home games at home, right? They got kicked out of the state too? Right, they did. And and that's going to – I think that will be in the line. Uh, I think that will be, you know, adjusted for that. Certainly we've seen uh, New Mexico has not been very uh, – very good at all anywhere they've played new mexico state obviously it messes with them uh, you could argue that maybe that would be a reason to not want to bet a bunch on them but if we get too low on this team 
they're still the most talented team in the conference. So I think that, you know, if you're laying a real short number and I don't, I don't know that they'd be getting points from anybody at this point because they just played Grand Canyon and lost twice in a row. So New Mexico state, I still think is going to get much better on offense. They have a good coach. It's a weird season for them, certainly, but uh, don't get too low on that team because they have a lot of talent. All right. So as we recap here real quickly, negative regression candidate for me is Texas state. Negative one for Kyle is Campbell. Positive for him, New Mexico State. Positive for me, the St. Peter's Peacocks. And as we look at some fade and follow teams here now, I think this is the one you probably disagree with me on. I think Furman is worthy of a short-term fade here. The Furman Paladins, they play Wofford here coming up this weekend, and then they play UNC Greensboro for a home-and-home series next week. I just look at this and – you know, look, they're finally facing some good defensive teams, and there aren't a lot of great defensive teams in the SoCon. They did play one in East Tennessee State, lost that game by nine. But this is a team that, you know, look, I just look at them, and I don't think they're going to keep shooting 61% on twos. Teams are starting to make more free throws against them. You know, they're not a great defensive team themselves, but they force a lot of turnovers. That kind of covers up some of their shortcomings. I just look at Furman and look at who they have coming up. And I think they're a pretty good short-term fade over the next three games. So first of all, Adam knows me really well. You know, we've done these shows long enough together that we can pretty much know what the other person's going to say. This is the one that I disagree with. Um, Yeah, I think Furman has a high upside, so I'm afraid to go against them. I think they have a very good coach. They have a lot of minutes continuity from last year. These are the same guys that were here last year, and they were very good. You know, this is a 25 and 7 team last year. I'm afraid to go against this team. I do agree with you that the short term, if you're going to fade them, would be better than long term because I do think that overall Furman's going to be good. These next couple matchups are tough matchups. Wofford and Greensboro, two teams that I respect quite a bit. In fact, if I was going to go against them, I think I'd go against them with Greensboro because I still think Greensboro might be not quite high highly rated enough based on the fact that they started the season in disappointing fashion. But in general, I don't want to fade firm. And I think they're, they're a team with a high upside. I think they'll continue to be very good on offense, maybe not quite as good on twos as they are right now. And their defense is kind of middle of the pack. So I don't really want to go against firm. All right. So uh, who's the team that you're looking to fade here then? So my fade team is Southern Utah. They're seven and four ATS so far this year. The sixth luckiest team in the country, according to Ken Palm. Look at all their close wins this year. I mean, they've won multiple times by one. A bunch of games have been won by five points or less. They're going to be favored by a decent margin in upcoming games. I think this is a good long-term fade because they're going to be favored consistently a lot here. And I think Southern Utah is a team that's kind of middle of the pack as far as talent and the big sky. So I think if they're laying too many points here, you could catch them in spots that would be a good fade. From a short-term fade in Furman to a long-term fade in Southern Utah to another long-term fade that I have here, I think this is a great opportunity over the next six games to fade Oral Roberts. Oral Roberts playing North Dakota State, South Dakota State, and South Dakota here over their next six games, playing those two-game sets like so many teams are in college basketball this year. Those three opponents, top three in the conference in three-point percentage against, 32.1% for North Dakota State, 32 for South Dakota State, 33.8 for South Dakota, and they're all good offensive teams. Oral Roberts shooting 38.3% from three, so I would expect that to come down, and also the Golden Eagles 
315th in the country in adjusted defensive efficiency. I think these next six games are all really bad matchups for Oral Roberts. This is my favorite point that you brought up here today. I think you had a fantastic point there last week with Coastal Carolina, and I really like this one here this week. I think Oral Roberts is a good fade. To me, this is a team that, you know, has overachieved to this point, and their defense is really bad. Like you said, um, we've said before, the Summit League's defense, um, very few teams in the Summit League seem to play any kind of defense, but Oral Roberts is really bad on defense. They're counting on three-point offense. They're shooting 42.5% in the conference. They're taking a bunch of threes. If that percentage goes down at all, you know, they're a good fade. And like you said, they're about to play some teams who have high-octane offenses and or one of the best, best defenses. You know, North Dakota State is a really good defense in this conference. I think North Dakota State could be a good play. In those games, and then South Dakota State is a team that, you know, even if you're making threes, they can make more than you. So um, South Dakota, also a quality team. So they're about to play the best teams in this conference. And I think Oral Roberts is about to hit, uh, you know, regression uh, to the mean based on, you know, they look like they're pretty good in this conference, but I don't think they're any better than middle of the pack. So right now at six and two in the conference, I expect when we talk here in a few weeks, we're going to see them with a lot worse record. And I, I totally agree with you. I think this is a good ATS fade. Oral Roberts and North Dakota State playing on Friday and Saturday here of this week. So keep that one in mind. So the fade teams, two long-term fades for us, Oral Roberts and Southern Utah, and then a difference of opinion on a Furman fade and uh, most of their games coming up late in the week or next week. So we'll have to revisit this one a little bit further down the line. Maybe you won't agree with this one. I don't know. But as we transition over to the follow teams here, I'm taking a little bit of a look at Seton Hall in the Big East. They're 0-3 in their last three games, despite scoring 1.103, 1.172, and 1.078 points per possession in those three games. Villanova, Creighton, and Villanova, 46% from three. Seton Hall's opponents shooting almost 41% in 11 Big East games. I just feel like if Seton Hall is going to score over a point per possession, things just have to naturally regress for them a little bit positively on the defensive side, right? Yeah, I, I like this one. I like Seton Hall. I think they're a really well-coached team. Um, Mamu Kulashvili, first of all, that name is really fun to say, and he's amazing. You know, a very talented big guy who can do it all, you know, whether it's in the paint or from outside. He can even take it to the hoop really well, create his own shot. I think Seton Hall has a high upside and I think their defense will probably improve down the stretch. They have a coach that's proven that, you know, his team's going to play defense pretty well, especially by the end of the season. So to me, Seton Hall is a good follow. I I think this is probably a good long-term follow. All right. So who are we looking to follow on your end? So we're going way under the radar here, right? This is probably the most under the radar one that I'm going to bring up today. McNeese State, they're three and seven ATS. They were picked to finish high in the Southland. They've had some bad luck so far this year. And if you look at them, opponents can't keep shooting that this well against them, right? I mean, I know they're bad at defense. Um, you're never going to get an argument from me on that. But opponents are shooting 40% on the year from three-point range. They're 355th in adjusted efficiency on defense, according to Ken Palm. Um, which means he has factored in, I assume, the Ivy League teams because, you know, he's got them below everybody, even the teams that aren't playing because they've done so bad. But uh, McNeese State, a really bad defense, but 
an offense that's very talented. I think they'll probably shoot better than they have so far this year. And the Southland, they're only averaging 1.019 points for possession in Southland. I would expect that to go up. I think they have some really good offensive pieces. Keyshawn Faisal, um, a guy from Mississippi State who transferred over, that is one of the best players in, in that conference, certainly. And McNeese State has had some pretty bad luck so far this year, some some bad beats for them. Uh, you know, I, I'll bring this one up because I had it the other day. I had McNeese State against Lamar. And they got a flagrant and a technical foul with like eight or nine seconds left in the game and then barely didn't cover. So um, I've had plenty of those this year. And like I said, I'm, I'm excited that January is turning over to February because I just had a really bad January. But I think McNeese State is uh, a team that people will be underrating at this point. I think they'll play a lot of close games and they're going to be underdogs in a lot of these games coming up. No, I definitely like that one. And, and the last one that I have for a follow team here and Maybe this one's kind of more on everybody's radar. I don't know how much value there actually is in backing this team. But Kent State, I think Kent State is an outstanding basketball team that, look, they had a COVID pause earlier on in the year. Two of their three conference losses came right out of that COVID pause. Then they lost, I think, by two to Toledo. And Toledo's covering numbers like crazy. They're shooting the lights out. They're an outstanding team. But Kent State, I mean, look, their losses are two out of a COVID pause, one to Toledo, then they lost in overtime to Virginia earlier on in the year. Golden Flashes are borderline top 10 in offensive rebounding percentage. They're a good three-point shooting team. They're a good two-point shooting team. They're a good free-throw team. I like them to get some revenge here this week against Akron on Saturday in the rivalry game. Shame on me. I am a zip, but I think Kent State's the side to look at there. They lost that first game 66-62. to Akron was 8 of 25 from two. So kind of surprising in general that they lost that game, but I think Kent State's really, really good. And if anybody's going to knock off Toledo here or you know knock off a team like Buffalo in this conference tournament, I think Kent State's the one I'd look at. I like Kent State as well. Uh, Danny Pippen's tremendous. As long as he's healthy, this team has a chance to beat anybody. You could make the argument that he's the best player in the MAC. Not too many people would disagree. Uh, you know, Jackson from Toledo has been excellent as well, but. You know, this this MAC is pretty wide open. I mean, Toledo has been the best so far this year, but I think the MAC will be a fun conference tournament this year because, uh, you know, Kent State is certainly has a chance. Bowling Green has underperformed. They they should be better than they've been. Akron's a good team. You know, we don't have a dominant team. Toledo has been the best by far so far this year, but I don't think they're just light years better than everybody else. So I agree on on Kent State. They play Miami of Ohio on Tuesday night a game that they'll probably be favored by seven and a half or eight points or something like that. And then they play Akron. So do you like them against Miami as well, or mainly against Akron? Yeah, I like them in both. I, like I said, I mean, I think this is a team that, you know, they're two lost, two of their losses are out of the COVID pause. I mean, we've yeah. seen a lot of teams struggle coming out of the COVID pause. I know you hit on one last Tuesday, taking Dayton over St. Louis and Dayton won outright as what a double digit dog in that one coming back off that COVID pause is tricky. Yeah, I tried to bet Quinnipiac against Canisius this past weekend, and they canceled the game two days in a row. So um, that was that was one more I was trying to go after. But yeah, I I think that you know a lot of teams have shown that it's really tough in that spot. Kent State had their losses there, and as you pointed out, they lost in overtime at Virginia, which shows you quite a bit as well. So their upside is certainly high. So the follow teams we're looking at here: Seton Hall and Kent State from me, and then McNeese State. 
from Kyle on today's show. And let's talk about some games here, man, to finish up this program. And look, you know, we, we talk about this all the time. We love under the radar teams and conferences. And we talk about a lot of stuff you're not going to hear on a lot of other shows. But when you get a game like Baylor and Texas, I, I feel like you probably got to talk about it. Yeah, Baylor and Texas is a really good game. And this is a tricky one, though, because Texas had so many people out in the last game. I don't know whether Ramey's going to play or Sims is going to play in this game. So that's something that we're going to need to know before, um, you know, we, we bet on this game, to be fair. I think that Baylor is clearly the better team of these two. You know, if Texas is at all shorthanded in this game, you know, it'll be reflected in the line, certainly. But it wouldn't surprise me if Baylor wins this game pretty easily. You know, was it what was it maybe about five or six years ago? We used to rag on Scott Drew on this show. And, I, you know, I think we kind of apologized to him in the past past year or two. But uh, his team is tremendous this year. Uh, You know, he he's been very good uh, coaching this team the last couple of seasons. They've gotten better talent, obviously. They're excellent defensively. And now they're also really good on offense. You know, and that's been the difference is they were always good on defense and now they're excellent on offense as well. Uh, Baylor's upside is a lot higher than Texas, in my opinion. Texas, you know, uh, if they're full strength, certainly has a chance to keep this close. If they're not, I'd be really worried about taking Texas even at a bigger price. And that is one of the things that's a little bit challenging here because we're looking ahead at some games. We're not talking about day of games because, you know, I don't know how quickly listeners get to the recordings, but yeah, that is the tough part here this year of, you know, kind of forecasting out a little bit is that if Texas isn't at full strength, you know, what does this number look like? How much does it actually impact them? All of that. So, you know, good to get that stuff out there, though, because, you know, some people may look at the game like this and just bet it because it's on and bet it because it's a top 10 game and all that. But it's definitely important to know who's actually going to be playing uh, for all those teams that are involved. You got a trio of games here that you're looking at for Thursday. And we'll start with the early one, 4 o'clock Eastern time tip-off, Mount St. Mary's and Bryant. And this is one of the games that longtime listeners of the show know we love to talk about. I love these pace wars. You know, who's going to control, control the pace here? Who gets the tempo they want? Bryant is about as fast as anybody in the country. They're third in tempo, according to Ken Palm. Mount St. Mary's, 356th. So, I mean, they're as slow as anybody uh, they're they're playing 20.4 seconds on an average possession. Bryant is at 14 and a half, 14.8 in the conference. Um, teams are trying to slow down Bryant and this conference. I'm I'm actually surprised Bryant just lost back to back both games against Fairleigh Dickinson. So Bryant was kind of the favorite after what they did in the non-conference portion of the schedule here, but now they're six and four, and uh, LIU's in first in this conference. So. Uh, Mount St. Mary's to me, a team that's going to want to slow this game down, but they're not very good on offense. They got to win with their defense. So Mount St. Mary's really needs this to be a lower scoring game. Bryant wants this to be a, you know, 80 to 75 type of game. Mount St. Mary's wants this to be a 70 to 65 type of game. So to me, and this one, if I got enough points, I would probably lean toward taking Mount St. Mary's plus the points, but I I really want to talk about this one because I think it's a, a pace war more than anything else. And I, I think I would argue that, you know, usually the home team gets to play the pace that they want to play and Bryant's at home in this one. Um, but at the same time, you've said it before and you're right. It's easier to slow a team down than it is to speed them up. So I'm really fascinated by this one. And I'm curious to see how Thursday's game plays out 
And if we see that one team is able to dictate tempo, you might be able to bet on that team or bet the under over in the second game, since this is one of these back-to-backs. Yeah, that's an excellent point. I'll say Mary's three straight games under 60 possessions, lost to Central Connecticut, lost to Sacred Heart, and then beat Sacred Heart in the second game coming back. So, yeah, I agree. You know, you want to see how Mount St. Mary's does. And something else I think will be interesting, too, is, you know, if they play this very slow, very methodical kind of game, what happens on Thursday if they're sped up going into Friday with no rest in between? You know, it's a much different kind of animal if they play a 70 possession game or something like that, as opposed to playing, you know, a low 60s possession kind of game which is kind of where they want this one to be. I think that's a really, really excellent point and a very interesting game, to say the least, there between Mount St. Mary's and Bryant. Ohio State and Iowa coming up here on Thursday night, and uh, the Buckeyes are playing some very good basketball right now. They are, and uh, listeners of the show know that both of us are Ohio State fans, so I always say that at the beginning of it. Same time, I can go against Ohio State. It's easier for me to go against Ohio State in basketball than it is football. Obviously, there's not as many games in football. And if I'm betting against Ohio State in football, uh, you know, it feels a little bit harder to take. But, you know, in basketball here, Ohio State, I think, has outperformed expectations to this point. I mean, I don't think many people thought that they would have been this good. They're 14 and four. I think Holtman's a really good coach. They don't quite get the same recruits as some of the other top teams, but he's good at coaching them up. The thing that concerns me about Ohio State and the lean I have in this game is Iowa. Uh, I see Ken Palm has this game at five. Uh, can you check, see what Torvik has? As 4.4. Okay, 4.4. I'll be surprised if the line comes out at four and a half or five. I mean, I think if it does, people are going to bet Iowa in this game. And, and Iowa is who I would take in this one. Iowa offensively is so good. Uh, and they shoot a lot of threes. They're very good at them. Ohio State's three-point defense, I think, in the conference is unsustainable. They're they're allowing 29.7% from three. And actually, they were pretty bad on three-point defense um, in the non-conference slate. And I've watched enough of their games to think that I think some teams have missed some pretty good shots against this Ohio State defense. Ohio State's fifth in offensive efficiency. Obviously, Iowa's even better than that. They're second. I think Iowa has a really good home court advantage, and I don't think Ohio State is quite good enough to go to Iowa and win. I would want to lay the short number here with Iowa if I was betting this game. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And and something else here, too, is there aren't a lot of turnovers in the Big Ten in general. These teams take really good care of the basketball, but Iowa takes extremely good care of the basketball. And Ohio State doesn't force turnovers. It's the biggest problem with their defense they're 322nd in the country in turnover percentage on defense so you gotta try and get the ball away from Iowa somehow some way to keep them from hanging a big number on you and I just don't know if Ohio State has that capability especially if you expect their their defensive numbers to regress a little bit I do because I also think like you said they don't turn teams over and they also don't have great shot blockers and if you don't have either of those I think it's hard to be really good on defense consistently so I think Ohio State's defense is not as good as they look on paper so far this year I think that there are going to be some teams that take advantage of them here the rest of the season and uh, this could be one of those games and I think Iowa perception of them is not quite as high as it was, you know, a few weeks ago, because they just lost two games in a row. Now they play Michigan State on Tuesday. Um, I would assume they'll win that game, especially with Michigan State struggling here of late. 
and then they play Ohio State on Thursday night, and they play on Sunday. So a busy week here for Iowa. I think Iowa is in the better spot here. I think Iowa laying the short number, probably a good way to look in this one. The total is going to be really high. I was going to say, you know, I might lean to the over, but it's going to be like 160 or 161. And it's hard for me to take an over in the Big Ten at that high of a number. One other game in the Big Ten you want to take a look at here for Thursday, Minnesota and Rutgers as we head out to Piscataway. And, I mean, look, we talked about it already that uh, Minnesota is about as bad as it gets away from home. Yeah, and I see Ken Palm has this number at four. I think four is too short. Um, you know, Rutgers at home has been pretty good, you know, even when they weren't that good of a team. You know, two, three years ago, um, this team was playing pretty good basketball at home. And now they're a far better team. They went through that rough patch, but I think Rutgers has a pretty high upside. I like their team quite a bit. Minnesota is an easy fade candidate for me on the road. This is, if we're saying a premium look ahead, this is the one, you know, this is the one that I want to bet. If Rutgers is minus four, four and a half, something like that, I hope it's not five or higher, but um, five can be a pretty key number in college basketball, but uh, I wouldn't want to lay any more than five. I'll say it that way. But Rutgers laying the points here would be the way I would be looking. And if you want to bet this one, I think you want to bet this one right away because I think this might be a popular bet. I want to ask you about a game here on Thursday that's not on the list, but I was just looking at the Thursday schedule and it kind of crossed my mind because I've been looking more at that mid-range you know, shooting percentage, shot selection, stuff like that that we've talked about in the past over at Haslametrics. The team in the country right now that shoots the lowest percentage of mid-range shots against the average opponent is Loyola Marymount. Now, Loyola Marymount plays Gonzaga on Thursday night, and I don't know if either one of us would have any interest whatsoever in stepping in front of Gonzaga because they're just massacring teams in the West Coast Conference here. But as I look at Loyola Marymount, they're a great rebounding team, and we know that, as I just talked about, they at least take a lot of smarter shots on offense they'll take a lot of shots at the rim if they can get there their problem is they don't take care of the basketball any chance they can keep this thing close against Gonzaga on Thursday oh man Um, I mean this is it's hard to bet Gonzaga games Adam I I don't think I bet on a Gonzaga game since I bet the over when they played against Iowa you know I, I can't bet Gonzaga games in this conference because they're so much better than everybody else the question is is how you know, how long are they going to keep their foot on the gas? So, and I can, I'm really concerned that Loyola turns the ball over 26% of the time in the West Coast Conference, and they haven't played Gonzaga yet. While Gonzaga is not really a pressing team, they are forcing 20% of teams, or 20% of the time opponents have turned the ball over. So I'm worried about that, that turnover percentage quite a bit. And really Gonzaga, they've been winning by large margins here, even though they have taken their foot off the gas. So, um, if you're taking Loyola here, I'm, I'm going to just have to root for you. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. I was just wondering, cause I, I kind of thought about it and I was like, Oh, Loyola Marymount's sort of doing the San Francisco thing without shooting from three as much. So I thought it was kind of interesting to sort of see how those teams would stack up a little bit. Uh, one more game, I guess a back to back that I want to take a look at real quickly here. Cause I think this is a good opportunity. You don't get premium look aheads for me. Cause you know, I, I don't have premium picks, but I'm thinking that this one might set up to me not exactly the same as Coastal Carolina and Georgia Southern or Coastal and South Alabama this week, where I will take the Chanticleers in both of those games. But Southern Miss and Rice, you know, we talked about Southern Miss a few weeks ago as a fade team, a negative regression team. 
just a team that neither one of us really liked. And Rice, as I mentioned already, they had COVID issues the last couple of weeks here where they had guys missing practice, guys missing games, all of that. I think a Rice team now with the benefit of practicing together, getting past that COVID issue, I think Rice might be a pretty good back here on Friday and Saturday against Southern Miss. I like this look as well. Um, you know, Adam's had some pretty good thoughts on these look aheads. And like you said, not a premium look ahead, but he's had some good thoughts on these ones looking forward. And I think that Rice is a team that is pretty good offensively. They're not very good on defense, but Southern Miss is not efficient at all on offense. And against Rice, that could be a problem because I think that Rice will score here. Um, Southern Miss, not great on defense, only mediocre. They're just really bad at offense. And if you look at Southern Miss on the road, they've been really bad. I would assume that in Haslametrics away from home rating, Southern Miss is not very good because you know, they lost to Utsa twice, they lost to UAB twice. Um, they lost at Tulane by 20 points. They lost at Jacksonville by 15. These are not really that good of teams. So Southern Miss is not very good on the road. Rice, like you said, may be a bit undervalued at this point. The teams that Rice just played, UAB and then North Texas. I think North Texas is the second best team in this conference probably. Uh, and they have a very high upside. So Rice has just played a tough schedule. Now they go down to playing Southern Miss. They're going to be laying a short number here. I like Rice as well. I like, I'm going to start calling UTSA Utsa. I like that. I think it sounds good. <laughs> I think we should definitely go with that here as we go forward on the show. Plenty of great thoughts. I know I had the internet hook up, and I think it kind of threw uh, both of us out of rhythm for a couple of minutes, but we finished strong here, taking a look at some games coming up later in the week. Uh, the three Thursday games there from Kyle, Minnesota Rutgers, Bryant, and Mount St. Mary's, and Ohio State, Iowa. And then keep in mind, looks like Rice may be a good look here on Friday and Saturday against Southern Miss. Kyle Hunter, professional better and handicapper over at huntersportspicks.com. What's going on over there right now, man? So I'm going to be running a special here for February. Like I said, full disclosure, I had a really bad January. Hopefully February goes better. My long-term numbers are very good. So I've still been getting the closing line value. Running a special here for February, I'm going to lower the price for one month to 200 bucks. It's usually been 349. So special price there for one month of plays. And, um, you know, if, if you've been on board for the January, as I've said before, I apologize. I always hate it when people lose uh, following my stuff. But, uh, you know, I'm still putting in the hard work, still getting good numbers. I think things will improve. And uh, if you want free plays, two things you can do. You can go sign up for the free picks newsletter at huntersportspicks.com. And you can also go to follow me at Kyle Hunter picks on Twitter. I've had some good free plays. So uh, hopefully we can continue with the free plays and, and turn around the premiums. I just realized uh, we promised our listeners we would talk about the MEAC today and then we never mentioned it. So oh, man. We'll have to next do time? that next week. Yeah. Rain check. <laughs> rain, rain check. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Kyle Hunter, professional better and handicapper over at huntersportspicks.com. Always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you so much for joining me. We'll talk to you again next week. Thanks, man. Take care. There you go. There's Kyle Hunter. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at Kyle Hunter Picks. And of course, tune in to our Monday editions of ATS Radio, where we always have Kyle on the show. Coming up on Tuesday, we'll chat Super Bowl props with Brian Blessing, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline. We'll talk some NHL and also the Waste Management Phoenix Open, one of my favorite golf tournaments of the year, but obviously with COVID, it's going to look a lot different here this time around. But either way, we'll give you some of our thoughts on that tournament down at TPC Scottsdale. 
That'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And I will talk to you again tomorrow. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.